uh, are going to continue the sermon series that we started uh, three weeks ago, and um, we're going to continue that today. We're calling it the Four Cups, and uh, when we say Four Cups, we mean the Four Promises of God, the four promises of God that God has for you and for me and for our entire generation. And really, we believe this has always been God's purpose and God's plan is to introduce these four promises to humanity. And we're calling it four cups because there are four cups of wine in a Jewish Passover uh, meal. And the Jewish Passover meal is something that happens annually where they celebrate the time when God delivered uh, the Jewish people out of bondage out of Egypt, and uh, it really is a monumental moment um, for, the, for the Jewish people uh, as a nation, but it's also an important moment biblically for us as Christians because it demonstrates for us exactly what God wants to do, not just for the Jewish people, the ancient Jewish people, but also for us in our lives today. And so um, we see those four cups, and within those four cups, you can't just drink those four cups right away, like, like in the Passover meal. You can't just rush and hurry up and drink all four of them. You have to drink them ceremoniously because they each stand for a different promise of God. And we're going to be reading those promises. They're found in Exodus chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 6, um, verse 6. We're going to be reading those promises here in just a moment. And um, there are four of them. They stand for the four each, each stands for a, for, for a different cup, and so we've talked about these, these cups, and uh, last week we talked about the first cup, which is the cup of salvation, and today we're going to get into the second cup, and uh, looking forward to uh, getting that in, in, into that with you all today. Um, cheers. My throat's a little dry, so I got water. Um, leave me alone. Um, all right. Uh, if you turn to Exodus chapter 6, we're going to start reading. This is God speaking to Moses, um, and uh, he's telling Moses, Moses is going to go down and tell the people of Israel uh, this message from God. God says, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. And that's the first promise. That's the first cup. Um, the Jews call this the cup of sanctification. We would call this really the cup of salvation. This is the cup um, where God promises to bring you out of out of Egypt. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. God's promise for us is to bring us out of bondage to sin, out of bondage and slavery, uh, really, to, to Satan. The Bible says that the entire world is under the sway or the influence of the evil one, and it is God's desire that you come out of that. And we talked about that last week, and last week 17 people said, yes, I want to start walking out of here. And um, so we're excited about that, but really every single week that we exist as a church, we are going to present this first cup. We are always going to let people know that God wants you to be free. God wants you to be out from under the yoke, the heavy, like yoke means something heavy, something burdensome on you. Um, God never intended for you to live that way. He intended for you to live with freedom and with joy and with peace. And uh, that's what God has for you. And you're never going to experience that when you're stuck in, in Egypt under slave to sin. Um, and so he says, I'll bring you out. First, I'm just going to get you out of there and change your address and move you out. And then secondly, he says, I will free you from being slaves to them. Now, this, this second cup sounds kind of like the first cup. Sounds, sounds similar. We call this the cup of deliverance because he says, I will free you from being slaves. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's, it's one thing to be out from Egypt. But it's another thing to get Egypt out from you. Um, there's, there's, there's a sense in which you can be free from the shackles and the chains, but still be 
a slave on the inside. And so God wants to change your being. God wants to change not only where you are located, but God wants to change who you are. He wants to adjust and free you on the inside, not just on the outside. So we're going to get into that today. That's called the cup of deliverance. And um, that is a promise that God has on the table for you and for me. And thirdly, he says, I will redeem you. Redeem means to put back or to put back to an original intent, original purpose. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. We call this the cup of redemption or restoration. God is basically, you know, you know, like when you restore an old car, you basically uh, uh, get off all the rust spots and, 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 and clear out all the dirt and all the parts that don't work. You get rid of that. But then you don't just leave it there. You, you redeem it or you restore it. And so you get new parts and you make it just like it was when it drove off the showroom floor. Um, that's what God wants to do in your life. He doesn't just want to get bad stuff out of you. He wants to put you back to your original purpose. He wants to get you back on the yeah. road again yeah. um, of, of the life that he always intended for you to live. And so, so many, so many Christians never get there. And I think it's so sad that so many Christians live basically in cup two. Like they live just trying to get delivered, like, and then get delivered, and then get delivered, and then get delivered. And they never really step into their purpose. And so uh, next week we're going to be talking about this third cup, and this has to do with your purpose, God's purpose for your life. And we're excited to share that with you. He says, I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. We'll, we'll explain that next week. And then fourthly, I will take you as my own people. This is the cup of fulfillment. This is the first time he says the word people instead of you. It's, it's no longer singular. God's ultimate plan for you and me is not a singular plan. We are uh, a part of, the Bible yes. says we are part of a body. Amen. That's what scripture says. So, so you know, you, 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 can't, you can't just be a finger like, like hanging around out there somewhere. You have to be connected <laughs> to a body. God wants you to be a part of a body. Um, or, and scripture calls us his flock, right? Like his flock of sheep. Like we're not just one sheep. We're, we, are, we are a flock. We are a herd. We're moving together. Um, and uh, yeah, so and sheep are an interesting illustration for us. But um, anyway, we'll talk about that in the fourth week because that's the fourth cup. That's the cup of fulfillment. That's where you are, you are joining with a group of people making a difference. And um, these four things, actually, these four promises are throughout our church. If you've been to Church 101, our membership class, you've heard about these. But also, um, if you have kids in the kids' ministry, uh, I, I asked them to put a slide up because this slide is really a picture of, of, of one of the um, banners or bulletins or um, uh, sheets of paper that all of our kids get when they first come to our ministry. And our hope is that they hang this like on their wall or their bedroom door or whatever. And these are the four purposes of our kids' church. So... Um, you're not in kids' church, but I think it's important that you know what's happening in kids' church. So this is what our kids are being taught right here. First of all, uh, we believe it's important that our kids love God and that they know the love of God. Yeah. So, so regardless of what's going on in their life, what we want our kids to know is that God loves them. That, that, and that's really the first cup. That's really the first cup of salvation. When you understand the love of God and when you return that love in return and you say, God, I, I, I want to serve you. I want to love you. That's basically salvation. That's a little bit different words, but that's, but that's how we say it to the kids. And then secondly, uh, love people. We want, we, we want to teach our kids how to respect others, how to love others. We love all people because God loves all people. And so that's really the second cup. That's the cup of deliverance where we, where we kind of get over ourselves and get, and get some, some stuff out of us that enables us, us to really see people and really love people um, for, for who God created them to be. And thirdly, do your best. Um, do your best and God does the rest. That rhymes. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> uh, it's an easy way for the kids to remember, but that's really the third cup. When you are when you are fulfilling your purpose, you're doing what you're best at, and so you're doing your best. And so we want our kids to to know that God has a plan for their lives, and that God has something that He wants them to do. Um, even at a young age, I was saved when I was six years old, and and I I, I I talked to somebody about Jesus for the first time. I think I was ten years old when I when I led somebody to Jesus, and, and it was it was exciting. God can use kids. And so we want our kids to step into that purpose and then finally have fun um, because God gives us joy. And that's, that's the fourth cup, that as a group, we always want to laugh. We always want to have fun. We want, we want it to be a place of fulfillment. I think church ought to be, uh, the Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house. <laughs> Not I was sad or I was mad or um, I was glad. It should be a happy thing. It should be a fun place. And so we do our best to make sure kids' church is fun and um, Anyway, if you have kids in kids' church, maybe you can ask them about these and just kind of quiz them a little bit uh, today. Would you pray with me? And we're going to get started on the second cup. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for um, everything that you're doing here in City Chapel at Slaughter Creek. Lord, I thank you for the people that are responding to you. Lord, what a joy it is to be the one to, to stand up here and just share your promises. Um, it's, it's, really, it's really a privilege and it's a joy to stand as your kind of spokesperson and just tell people what you want for them. Uh, Lord, it's such an honor every single week. And so I thank you for that. I thank you for all those who have sacrificed um, to make this possible. Uh, Lord, I thank you for uh, uh, the fact that March Madness is over and uh, we are that much closer to football season. Um, Lord, thank you. Thank you for leading us to the the promised land. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I can't wait for the fall. Sorry, I just can't, can't help it. Um, uh, and plus, the weather will probably be better, and it won't rain every single weekend, which would be awesome. Um, uh, anyway, um, there was a time in my life, you may or may not believe this, but there was a time in my life when I got into weightlifting. Um, no, 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 no comments necessary. I got into weightlifting because I was 14 years old, and I weighed about 110 pounds. And I don't, I don't know the styles nowadays so much, but like um, back in the 90s, when I was 14 years old, it wasn't cool to be super skinny. Um, you know, like, I mean, it was fine and all, but like our, our pants were a lot baggier then, and our shirts were a lot baggier, and so it just wasn't cool to be super, so I, I just felt very skinny. I was 110 pounds, 14 years old. I was about the same height as I am right now. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, just, I was just tiny, and so, you, you, you know, like you're at the pool or you're at the beach, you take your shirt off, and, you know, you, you kind of look like a six-year-old girl, you know. You don't have any muscles, any pectoral, you know, no biceps, nothing, just kind of a chicken, chicken chest, I think is what they called me um, when I was little, so I have a lot of emotional damage and scars to get over. Um, but, you know, like, it's just not cool. It's not cool to, 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 be, to be that skinny. And so I said, man, I need, to, I need to bulk up. You know, I need to lift weights. I need to get strong. I need to get ripped. And so I got some protein drinks. And uh, Christmas was coming up. And I'm from Michigan, so it's, it's obviously very cold at that time of year. But uh, Christmas was coming up, and I said, Mom, Dad, I want a weightlifting set. And so, so it's, it's, it's funny. Like, weightlifting, used weightlifting equipment is always available. Like, on Craigslist, we didn't have Craigslist back back in the old days, but you know we sent smoke signals and people had you know used exercising equipment because they start it and then they don't finish it. 
And so everybody's selling this stuff. And so mom and dad got me a, a, a bench and some, some, some dumbbells and barbells and a bunch of weights and like a pulley system. And, and so I set it all up in our garage and I was faithful, man. Every single day I was out there like, you know, pumping iron, you know, listening to Eye of the Tiger and, and uh, John, 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 yeah, man, like that's, uh, that's testosterone. Like, like that's just right there. I mean, that's testosterone in the music. And so you get some of that, you see, you know, it's like, oh, you're out there in the garage, oh, oh, and uh, drinking the protein drinks, and it's about, you know, five degrees probably out in my, out in my parents' garage, and, and I mean, it didn't matter, you get going, you get sweating, it's all good, and literally, like, within two and a half months, I gained 25 pounds, 25 pounds of, like, rip the quarterback's head off muscle, you know, <laughs> like, just, you know, Rushed through a wall. I mean, I was, I was, I was, I was doing dumbbells, uh, 30 pounds each, like, like, you know, like 30 reps of 30 pounds. I was like, oh yeah, and then triceps. I was getting all into it, and it was great. And so my birthday is in April, and so uh, spring's coming around. So I asked for more weights because I maxed out all the weights that I had, which wasn't a whole lot, but whatever I had, I maxed out on. All right, and and uh, I was asked for more, so I got a whole bunch more weights for my birthday. And I'm April, man. I'm 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 going for it. Well, then May comes around, and. And May is when, you know, springtime, and it gets a little bit warmer. Now, you guys probably won't understand this, but in Michigan, it gets about 80 degrees, which is kind of balmy, you know, 80 degrees. And so I'm out there in the garage, and it's 80 degrees, and, and so I'm lifting the garage door up. I got a fan on me, you know, and I'm trying to, trying to pump iron and trying to do it. And, and I, I, I remember one day, I think it was in May, I finally, like, my brother was out there playing um, in, in, in the yard, and I finally was just like, you know, what am I doing this for? You know? Like, like I just kind of had this epiphany. I just had this realization. Wow. Like, you know, I know I wanted to get ripped. I know I wanted to have, you know, like a division between, like, this side of my chest and that side of my chest. And, you know, I, like, I, I wanted that. And, like, you know, I, I wanted to fill out a little bit. But, like, this is nuts, you know? And I started thinking, you know, like, 20 years down the road, I'll be like, you know, 34, and, and if I don't keep lifting, all this muscle's going to turn to fat, you know, and it's going to just go sag, and then I'm going to have to keep lifting in order to keep this thing up, and so I just had this realization, I was like, man, I'm done with weightlifting, like, I'm just done with it, like, it's over, I got my 25 pounds, I'm no longer chicken chest necessarily, and, uh, I mean, I'm not the Incredible Hulk, but hey, it's all right, it's all right, and so, I, 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 I gave up after about three months, and then, of course, my weightlifting equipment sat in the garage for years until my parents sold it in a garage sale, and, and, and that's kind of the way that, that weight equipment and exercise equipment, that's it's sort of the lifespan of them, it seems to be. Like, people get real fired up about it, you go for it for a little while, and then you're like, eh, who, who really cares? I mean, you know, like, I, I just, Jesus loves me, my, you know, I, that's, that's my security. I don't need people thinking I'm, I'm buff or anything. And it turns out that it worked out really well because Roe doesn't like guys that are really muscly. So, um, so it worked out. Roe's my wife, by the way, in case you're wondering. She, she's not, she's not really, she's never been into that. And I, I said, well, cool, that's not me. So, because um, because of the cost. I mean, I'm not against it, but it's just cost me too much. I'm not ready to pay that price. I was talking to a, a, a church planter. We both planted around the same time. And he's like, yeah, like every Sunday when I'm out there working out, you know, I'm kind of tired after church. And I'm like, you're working out after church? Like, what are you, nuts? Like, why? You know, like, that doesn't even make sense. I'm not even, you know, I don't even go to the gym. So that's how I roll. But um, 
I started and then and then I quit. But I th I think kind of like the spirit the, the spiritual life, kind of like the Christian life. I think a lot of people get fired up and and they they start and 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 they get going and sort of about a couple months in or maybe a couple weeks, maybe even a couple days, they figure out that wow, this isn't going to happen overnight. You know, like it's not all in one jar. Of Christian protein. There's not. There's not. There's, there's not some kind of pill that you can take that suddenly just makes you this 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 great powerful Christian. And so, so I want to talk to you all today because we are new as a church, and so I believe that we're kind of on this journey together. Last week we talked about the first cup, which is the cup of salvation, and and a lot of people put their faith and trust in Jesus. And in fact, throughout the past eleven weeks, a lot of us have been renewing that faith and renewing that commitment and renewing that trust in Jesus. And so I believe that we're kind of at this second cup stage. Many of us um, are at this second cup stage. Now, the first cup, the cup of salvation, is one that happens instantaneously. It happens in a moment. You put your faith. It requires faith. And so we have a scripture here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, uh, makes it pretty clear that God saved you by his grace. That's the salvation comes by grace through faith. When you put faith in God, his grace comes to you, and salvation happens in your heart. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Not when you filled out a card, not when you said, uh, not when you raised your hand or prayed a prayer, but when you put your faith in Jesus, that's where salvation happens. When you believed, and you can't take credit for this because it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we do. Yeah. Salvation, you don't have to work to get saved. It's very, it's, it, it, it's a faith thing. Your only work is to work the work of faith, is to put faith in what Jesus has done for the good things we've done so none of us can boast about it. So it's, it's not on any of us that we can say, all right, I saved myself. Yeah. And, and that's something that is wonderful. It's a wonderful truth. In fact, my, my, uh, my grandpa on my dad's side experienced this salvation really, really late in his life. Um, he lived a full life. He was well-known in the community. He's a good guy. He was, uh, you know, cowboy boot-wearing, uh, uh, I think it was Marlboro, smoking. Anyway, cigarettes. He was big-time into cigarettes. Um, country music, you know, that was, that, was, that was my grandpa. I know you wouldn't think it to look at me, but... That's where I come from. He was big into Boy Scouts. He started his own troop in our town. Uh, he actually started a, a dance team for, um, for, for uh, basically studying Native American um, dances. And so he would put together these dances. He would be the one on the drums. And uh, my dad and, and a bunch of his friends would, would make their own costumes. And they would these authentic dances around the country. Like, my grandpa was a good guy. He was a good man, loved his family, loved people. He was, he was kind. All of that, but, but as often is the case with sort of good old boy religion, is you really think you don't need God because you're a good person. And so when my parents decided to, to become Christians, my grandpa wasn't that interested in that. And we knew that. We prayed for him. We prayed for grandma. And uh, just, you know, all my life growing up. And uh, 1996, I think it was, I was about 16, when we got a call that my grandpa had gone into the hospital. He checked himself in. He had pains in his chest. And from smoking his whole life, he, he had a, a cancer uh, lump the size of a melon in, in his lungs. And uh, the doctor said, man, you know, we'd give him like a couple days to live at, at best. And he slipped into a coma pretty quickly. And um, we just kind of wait. You just kind of hang out at the hospital. You just wait. And uh, there, was a, there was a span of time, I think it was about 30 minutes or an hour, that he, that he came out of the coma. And everyone sort of got to say their goodbyes, which was, which was awesome. 
Uh, but my dad talked to him and said, hey, Dad, you know, are you going to go to heaven? Um, you know, have you received Jesus? Because, and uh, and that, that even sort of offended some of the family members who were in the room because they're like, uh, you know, hey, if anyone's going to heaven, it's Eldon, right? Eldon's a good guy. He's going to heaven. And uh, uh, my, my grandpa, Eldon, said, I really don't know that I'm going to heaven because it's not about being a good guy. It's about putting faith in Jesus. And so right there on the hospital bed, my grandpa prayed a prayer with my dad and said, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and I, I'm not going to rely on myself right now. And within that instant, he didn't have to prove it. He didn't have to do anything. I believe that his eternal destiny was forever changed right then and there. Uh, that, that Like the thief on the cross, <laughs> he put faith in Jesus just before the end, and Jesus welcomed him into his kingdom yeah. after he died. And I, yeah. I, I still yeah. celebrate that, and I still look forward to seeing Grandpa someday yeah. because because he put faith in Jesus, because he drank from that first cup. Now, be, now, because he lived his whole life for himself, though, that means he never got to drink of these other cups. He never got to go on the journey that God intended him to go on. He never got to live the life that God intended him to live. I'm thankful for the first cup, for salvation, but this next cup is a bit of a process. This next cup, the cup of deliverance, is something that doesn't necessarily happen right away. Because, because what, what happens is we come to Jesus, but we still, and he takes us out of Egypt, but oftentimes we still think like we did like last week, right? And so, so there's, there's this process of changing our inside and our interior life. And um, uh, the Apostle Paul talked about a time back in his life when he had the same thing going on. It's in Romans chapter 7. He talks about this. He says, he says, that, he says basically, I, I find that there was a law working inside of me that although I want to do good, there was this evil right there, right there inside me, right there next to me. For in my inner being, I delight uh, in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin within me. And he says this, he says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And he gives the answer. Who is it? Well, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. <coughs> This is the cup of deliverance. This is what God has to offer all of us. Maybe you're feeling these exact same things. Like, like I want to obey God, but there's something inside of me that doesn't want to obey God. There's something inside of me that's at war with, with, with this new way of thinking, with this new life that I've been introduced to. And, and I, I just want to encourage you today that that's normal. <laughs> that's normal. Um, I, was out, uh, I was out on the street last week. Uh, uh, ministering to, to, to some of our, 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 our homeless friends, some of our street friends. There's a guy there that I've been praying for and praying with whenever I get to see him. He's a young guy. He's kind of like my age. He's a good-looking guy. It seems like he comes from a pretty decent family. Um, but as he's told me, that he has a problem with drugs and that this drug keeps pulling him down, keeps pulling him down. And, uh, and he told me, which is amazing, he said he'd been clean for 46 days, um, which I was really excited about. And it looks like he's going to be getting a job. Um, but he said, you know, once I get a job, I'm going to get money, and then, and then I need prayer that I don't go back to drugs with the money. And so he understands what the issue is. He's kind of like Paul right here. He's like, man, I, I know, like I want to do good, but there's this thing that keeps pulling me back. And so he, so, so he said to me, he said, uh, he said, what do normal people do? <laughs> he said, what do normal people do with that? He said, because it's not really like, like the drugs, like I'm kind of off the drugs, but, but whenever I have a bad day, whenever I have bad emotions... I don't want to deal with that. And so I can escape wow. with this drug. 
And he said, how, how do normal people deal with, with those negative emotions? I said, dude, exactly like you. You are normal. <laughs> You're not weird. You don't have a special problem that nobody else has. Not everybody turns to drugs, but everybody turns to something. Because none of us like to feel that. None of us like to be right here. None of us like to have that feeling of, I want to do what's right, but ah, I, don't really, I don't really want to deal with this right now. We all want to escape. And some of us use drugs. Some of us use alcohol. Some of us turn to relationships. Personally, personally for me, and this is what I shared with him, and I'll just be transparent with you. Personally for me, when I was 16, I didn't turn to drugs. I didn't turn to girls. I turned like in, inside. Like I turn to what I would call like self-pity or self-loathing, which kind of turns into self-hate, which turns into depression, which turns into suicide thoughts, which turns into suicide fantasies, which it's just it's, it's a downward spiral. So for me, it felt good. To, like I didn't I didn't shoot up, but for me, it felt good to sit in my room and just cry and feel bad for myself like for hours. That was my that was my drug. And I know you probably don't understand that if you've never been there, but. But when you're feeling sorry for yourself, at least somebody's feeling sorry for you. That's all I can say. That's just, that's just the feeling. It feels good at first, but, but it always would bring me down, down, down again to a darker and a darker and a darker place. Now, I was saved. I had Jesus in my heart. I believed in him. I knew lots of scripture. I mean, I was preaching sometimes for crying out loud. I mean, I was a Christian kid, but there was this thing inside of me that, 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 that said, I don't want to trust Jesus with this. I don't want to, I don't, I, I mean, I do, but no, I, I, I actually, it feels pretty good just to sit in my room and just, and just think about, about how worthless I am and how awful I am and how disappointment I am and just, just go down that spiral. But I remember there was a day for me where God just spoke to me and said, Harry, like, how long are you going to do this? Because it just gets darker and darker, and you start thinking about suicide, start writing suicide notes, and then throwing them away, and you start doing. And because there's only one, there's only one end to this road. There's only one end to the drug road, and to the and to the alcoholism road, and to the and, and to the self hate road, and it's death. That's the end. Like you, like you can you can go down that rabbit trail, and at the end of it, you're going to find it all leads to. Death, and in fact, in fact, that's what Scripture says. Romans eight verse five through six says, "Those who are dominated by the sinful nature—that's that's that thing inside of you that's pulling you back that you need deliverance from." Right? Deliverance is not just where where, where people lay hands on you and, and and you shake and then something comes out of you. That's not just deliverance. Deliverance is a process that we need freedom in the on the inside in our thinking. Because he says right here, those who are dominated by sinful nature, what do they do? They think about sinful things. It affects our mind. It affects the way that we think. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, though they think about things that please the Spirit. So, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And this is what I found. That even though I was a Christian, even though I, I was doing good things on the outside, the, 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 the sinful nature was controlling my mind. And was filtering. Honestly, I don't think I had a chemical imbalance for me. I, I, I don't know that it was a spiritual attack. I honestly think that I just wasn't filtering life properly. <laughs> like when you're 16, you don't always filter it properly. Like stuff that happens to you. And so I think I just was filtering it through my sinful nature. Like, oh, it's probably my fault. Oh, it's probably because of me. Oh, I'm such a disappointment. Some of those thoughts... It was just the way I was seeing my situation. It's not that that's the way it was. It's just the way I was filtering it. 
And this is exactly what Satan does. This is what Satan has done all along from the beginning of time. When he came to Eve in the garden, the very first temptation in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 2. Like Genesis chapter 1 starts off God making everything. Genesis chapter 2, we see temptation and we see the devil messing with people's minds. And the way, and the way it describes it is in Genesis chapter 2, you see the serpent, which is Satan, coming to Eve. And he says his very first two words, actually. We're, we're, we're at the, the beginning of the lie. He said, has God really said that you can't eat from every tree? That was his question. Now, his end game was to get her to eat from the tree that God told him not to eat from. That was, his, that was his ultimate temptation. But he didn't even start there. He said, has God. In the first two words, he's already introducing a new train of thought for her. Because if you read Genesis chapter 2, before you hear about the snake, every time Genesis chapter 2 references God, he's called the Lord God. That's in, in, in the Hebrew, it's Yahweh Elohim. Elohim means powerful. God means powerful, creator, the big guy upstairs. But Yahweh, the Lord, means my boss, means my Lord, means my, it's a relationship word. Right? I got a relationship with this guy up there in the sky. And this is, this is what scripture says. It says, the Lord God created man. The Lord God formed man out of the dust. The Lord God breathed into man. The Lord God created woman. The Lord God said, this is good. The Lord God created them. He was to them the Lord God. But when Satan appeared, that's the first time you hear, has God really said? Wow. Not the Lord. So in other words, the first lie was not this whole thing about the fruit. The first lie was, you know what? I think perhaps God can just be the guy upstairs and not necessarily Lord. Satan doesn't come to you and say, oh, God doesn't exist. Satan comes to you and says, God exists, but he doesn't really have to have a relationship with you. It's not really relationship-based. It's just He's just kind of up there. He's hanging around. He's doing his thing. And because she didn't counter that, she didn't speak to that, she just said, read it she says well yeah god says this god says that god says she she got along his train of thought and that's what i was telling the guy in the street i said man once you get into that train of thought you're toast because the hook is already in your mouth and and the fish i mean he, he just reels you in because you're already along this train of thought you're already along this thought that perhaps god's just god he's not necessarily my lord and oh, maybe i should disobey him maybe that maybe that makes sense by the time he presents the actual temptation to us we're already hooked it's just the next step and this this happens in big ways like 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 husbands having affairs like like before he ever tempts a husband with an affair he first tries to get the husband to complain about his current wife and his current life and all oh, that's not so great and she's not this and i deserve better and then then he presents something better so god satan always presents this he gets you along this certain train of thought and then he brings in this big temptation and we fall to it because of our thinking and so what we need to do is we need to change the way that we think we need to change our thinking and jesus presented us how exactly to do this because jesus was also tempted in the bible jesus was tempted tempted by satan directly and uh the story goes that jesus is being baptized and he goes under the water and and john the baptist pulls him up out of the water there's this big colossal moment where thundering voice comes from heaven and says this is my son in fact it was so loud that some people thought it was just thunder they're like oh weird weather we're having around here but but others heard hey, there's a voice I mean, it was loud. It was a thunderclap. This is my son. 
And, and, and then immediately, God drove Jesus out into the wilderness. He goes out into the wilderness. The last thing, words ringing in his ears, this is my son. And he's out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's fasting. And Satan appears to him, which is kind of spooky. Satan comes walking just out of the wilderness. And Satan doesn't say, hey, how's it going? No salutations, no hi, no good to see you. Glad you came to my, 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 my wilderness. Welcome to the wilderness. None of that. Very first word Satan says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. His end game is getting him to eat because he's hungry. But he starts off with a question. Now, Jesus didn't, at, up until that point, Jesus never claimed to be the son of God. Jesus didn't just get off of his 40-day I am the son of God tour. I mean, he wasn't, you know, like... <laughs> He didn't have, hi, my name is Son of God, on his chest. He had never even spoke, he never even implied that up until that point in history. The only guy to have said that he was the Son of God was God, the Father. God said, this is my Son. And the first thing Satan says, so, um, yeah, let's talk about that. If you are the Son of God, how about you do something to prove it? Because, you know, I mean, God's saying it, thundering voice, that's not quite enough for me. I need a little something else. And this is why Jesus says, well, actually, you know what? Bread is good, Satan. Bread's really great. But you can't live on bread. You can only live on every word that comes from God. And I'm living on that. And so, and, and so the first step to deliverance is honestly just, just not even engaging temptation. The first step is, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Lord, yeah. Lord, just I, I can't even argue. Like, this is what the guy said on the street, and I said, I totally agree with you. He's like, he's like I, I can't even argue with myself. Like, like, I run circles around myself. And I said, yeah, man, that sounds kind of crazy, but um, that's true. <laughs> I, I totally hear you, man. Like, that's, yes, I, I do the same thing. Every time I would try to reason about why I wasn't worthless, it would just turn into this big thing about why I was worthless. But, but really what I had to do is I just had to take the gloves off and exit the ring. And say, I don't really know. I, I could be worthless. I could not. You know, there's a possibility. There, you know, I, but I'm just, I, all I know is once I start going down that road, it leads to death. And so i got to walk out of here. And that's what Jesus said. Lead us not into temptation. Don't lead us into temptation. It's not God's will that you be led into temptation. It's God's will that every time you come across temptation, you take the gloves off and just back away. And just use the word of God, what God says about you. This is who you are. And so the first thing that we should do is we should change our thinking. The second thing, the best way really to change our thinking is not just kind of on your own, but to connect with others. Because your friends always influence your thinking. The people you hang around and the people that, that, that you talk to every day, those are the people that are influencing your thinking. In fact, when I was in that dark time in my life and I was trying to come out, um, my pastor at the time, Hey, we weren't even talking about anything. I was helping him set up church, and he just looked at me and said, Harry, you're going to make it. And that was just, you know, it's nothing big, nothing colossal, nothing major, but that's exactly what I needed to hear at that moment. And so, so we need to, all of us, we need to come together as a body and decide that we're going to help each other make it. That we're going to, we're going to be able to lean on each other. We're going to look at each other. We're going to say, you're going to make it. Even, even in our dark days, even in the days when we don't believe it, that we're necessarily going to make it. But somebody's got to believe in you and support you and have a, have, a, have a group around you. 
And so for us, you know, we call that small groups. We have we have a few small groups. They're on the website. They're on. They're they're in your handout. Uh, you can contact any of those people. They're meeting throughout the week. But honestly, like it's not just a plug for join a small group. Uh, it's this is a plug for for getting into relationships with some of the other folks you see around here. So you might not even join a small group, but go out to coffee with one of these friendly folks today. Like you know, invite them into your space. Invite them into your life. Or Invite yourself into their life if they're introverted, you know? I mean, just crash in there because we need each other. Because we need each other. It's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not an optional thing. God sees us as a body. He sees us as connected. And when we're disconnected, that's when the enemy can lie to us and deceive us. But when we come together and we engage in community, then others can speak into our life and encourage us along the way and help us. In fact, um, I, th- I, I think this is seen really in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 through 2, where where he says, uh, after Romans chapter 7, he says, So now, in light of the things I've been talking about, in light of the sin nature battle, he says, look, I want to make something clear. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And that's something that you just need to receive in your spirit and receive in your heart today. Many of the times, the reason why we don't engage in community is because we're afraid of condemnation. Because we're afraid that people will judge us, people will look at us differently, especially here in the South. I'm from Michigan where we kind of are a little more blunt and a little more open about stuff. But I've noticed, man, down here in the South, I've been here seven years, like there's a little thing called Southern uh, Hospitality. And it's where you just smile and you're really nice. Even if you hate the person, you're like, oh, you're so sweet. I picked this up. Like, for instance, for instance, if somebody says, bless their heart. Bless your heart. Mm. They don't really mean that they're calling down blessings on said individual's heart. That's not what it means. Eh, bless his heart. And you know exactly what I didn't know what that meant when I came here. Oh, sweet people blessing everybody's heart. How come you don't talk to the people that you bless their hearts? What's up with this? How do we all walk away? Bless their hearts. Microphones on the stage. <laughs> um, yeah, but this is this is the way that we are. Why? Because because we don't want to feel condemnation. So we put on a front, we put on a fake, and we say, "All right, kids, you know, put a smile on your face. Dang it, we're gonna be a happy family. We get to church. We're all gonna come in. And we're gonna say, bless you, sister, brother. We get to see you. Hallelujah. Bless God. Quiet. Stop arguing back there. How you doing? All right. I'm gonna beat you when we get home. All right. You're so good. Oh, God is good. My kids are wonderful. They're always like this. Always. Smiling, happy. We don't want to feel condemnation. But let me tell you something. This this church and the people that are in it, I am so proud to say they are people that follow the scripture right here. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That whatever you're dealing with, it's normal. (laughs) It's normal. It's not weird. You're not crazy. And we're not going to condemn you. We're going to love you. There is no condemnation. There is no, there is the, condemnation is where there's a, a, a swift judgment. It's like you make a judgment call on somebody. But for those who belong to, to Jesus, those who have tasted of the first cup, there's no condemnation. God doesn't condemn you. And neither do we condemn you. And because you belong to him, 
the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you. There's the second cup, the cup of freedom, the cup of deliverance. He has the power to free you from the power of sin that leads to death. And so today I want to, I want to make this cup available to you. And the interesting thing about this cup is that it's a process. So really, you know, there's not a, a one activity that you can make. I, I really feel like there's three primary steps that you can take. If you're taking notes, these are the three steps to receive the cup of deliverance. First of all, you have to, you have to step away or step out from temptation. Whatever it is that has been binding you, sometimes you just have to cut it off and just step away from the fight. Stop. Stop going toward temptation. Just back away. Even if you can't argue with it, even if you can't reason with it. For me, it was a period of about six months where I said, man, I don't know if I'm going crazy or not going crazy, but I'm just, I'm just not going to deal with this right now. Instead, I'm going to rely on what Jesus says about me. That's all I got. That's all I got. And so, so do that. <laughs> do that. There's an old joke um, that uh, Chris Hodges tells, and uh, it's corny as jokes go. Jokes are rather corny. But um, there's a guy walks into his shop and he's shopping and he hears, he hears this, this sound in the back of the room and it's a parrot in the cage. He calls out to him and says, hey you! Kind of looks around. Jokes are always weird like this. This wouldn't actually happen. But he's like, hey you! So the man sees the parrot's talking so he goes over to the parrot. The parrot looks at him and says, you're stupid. The guy's like, so the guy goes to the store owner. He's like, your bird just insulted me. The store owner's like, oh, I tell him not to do that. So he goes over there, smacks the parrot around. I told you to stop insulting our customers. The parrot's like, Ooh. And uh, the guy continues his shopping. Well, he comes back the next day in the same shop. The parrot calls out, hey, you. And this time the shop owner kind of looks over there, and they're both looking over there at the parrot. So the man walks over to the parrot. The parrot kind of looks around. Gets closer, and uh, the guy's like, what? The parrot says, you know what. <laughs> wow. Wow. The point of that is that for many of us, Satan doesn't even have to tell us what. He just has to call us over. When we get all excited and we're following Jesus and we're just going to church and we're going, and we're all this kind of all this kind of stuff, he's making me new, he's making me new. He just whispers in our ear, you know, you know who you really are. You know what you really struggle with. It's condemnation. It's condemning, it's judgment. He says, Yeah, you yeah, you know. You're not gonna be free. You know, really? You're always gonna be a slave in on the inside. You're always gonna be addicted to this, you're always gonna be stuck in this. It's condemnation. And what we have to do is just walk away. Don't argue with the parrot. Don't argue with the snake. Just walk away. And the second thing that we need to do as far as our steps we take, step away from temptation, but then step into relationship with others. And that's what I was talking about, engaging those around you. And then finally, we need to step closer to Christ. When they were being led out of Egypt, when they were being led, the Bible says there was a pillar of fire by day and a cloud, or cloud by day and fire by night. That, that led them. And that's what we need to do. We need to step closer to Christ. And really the way to do that, the next step to do that is baptism. 
Water baptism. When we are water baptized, what we're doing is we are making a public proclamation that we belong to Christ. And what it does is, is it symbolically and even, uh, and even in reality, it washes away some of those lies from our past and the lies from, from everything that we've been through and our hurt and our wounds. When we, are, when, we are, when we are identified with Christ in baptism, we come up out of the water. We're basically saying, I am his. And I don't care about what the parrot says or what the snake says or what, I am, I am his. It doesn't save you. Being baptized doesn't make you saved. No more than, than, than me having on a wedding ring uh, makes me married. Um, this isn't even really my wedding ring, actually. I just noticed that. <laughs> Micah likes to steal my wedding ring occasionally, my, my little four-year-old. We call it the ring of power in wrestling. He tries to take it. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know where my wedding ring is now, so if you see it, let me know. Um, it's good to have extras. You can tell we're not that sentimental around here. Like, something goes around my finger. That'll do, honey. That'll do. I'll, I'll wear that. I'll wear that. We went to one church plant. The guy was the pastor was so nervous he forgot to wear his wedding ring. It's like, dude, uh, I want to do. But he's like, oh, it's just being worked on. Which like, I don't care. I'm getting something around my finger. So, um, I don't know why I'm going into all that, but. Baptism is like a wedding ring, honestly. It's like, I, that's why I wear it. So like everybody knows I'm taken. Like, like, I'm taken. Yep, my wife's right there. I'm taken. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know where to go from there, but... <laughs> it's what it means. It's not a sentimental thing for me. It's just something around my finger that says I belong to her girl without a shoulder in the video. That's who I belong to. And that's what baptism is. Baptism is basically a, a spiritual ring on your finger. It basically says, I belong to him, like, like, like him. That he's, I am his and he is mine. And so we've never had baptism at City Chapel, so we're going to start that uh, this week. And really, that's kind of my altar call today. Um, sign up for baptism. We're going to be baptizing next week. Uh, we're going to have a special Sunday night service because they won't let us do it here in the theaters. So we're going to do it in another church that's nearby. They've opened up their building. Um, it's right down the road. And um, this is open to everybody. If you were baptized as a kid and you want to rebat, you want to be rebaptized, um, baptism is it's, it's the marriage to, to Christ. It's basically saying I'm done with the world and I'm going full on after God. And um, we want to baptize as many as want to be baptized. And we're going to have like a change of clothes for you. We're going to have like deodorant for afterward and um, you know, hairspray because that's important. Hairspray. Um, you know, all that kind of thing. Like we're, we're going to make sure that, that you're able to get dunked and then get changed and, and dried off and, and fresh clothes. And so, so we, we, we're, we're going to prepare everything, and so we need to know who all wants to be baptized. Um, so today you have an envelope, and uh, on that envelope there's a spot that says, I made a decision today. If you pull out that envelope right now, and Ro talked about it on the video, but uh, let's have all of our people just, just pull that out, and, 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 and everybody just read that. I made a decision today. Of course, if you're, if you're making a decision to receive from the first cup, if you're going to put your faith in Jesus, check that box off, and we're going to pray with you here at the end of service. But if your decision is baptism, I don't even know if that's an option, but just write baptism on there and write your name and 
con contact like phone number or email address and we will get with you this week to make sure that we're ready for you. It's going to be a great night of celebration, um, celebrating so many marriages, kind of, you know, marriages to Christ, so many people putting on that, that ring, identifying with Jesus and just, just going all in for him. And so we want you to partake with us. And even if you're not going to be baptized, we want you to come join with us and just sing and worship. And um, it's going to be a good night. But um, 